Well, this morning we're continuing uh, our sermon series through Matthew, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles if you'd like to follow along, but if you just want to listen, that's also totally appropriate, and if you want to use a smartphone, that's also appropriate. And you did see that it was Matthew chapter 2, that is not a typo. We're going to do all of Matthew chapter 2, and don't worry, I took a class once on reading. (laughs) This is Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born born the king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem was with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it was to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. He said this, a voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord, he appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And when he rose, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Man, two impressive reading weeks in a row. A genealogy and then a whole chapter. It's good. 
Um, as we begin here, I want to first thank uh, those of you who have uh, brought us meals. It's so exciting to enter into this partnership with Safe Families. And Megan and I are just are uh, playing one role in God's work in ministering uh, both to Zayden and to Shelby. And for those of you who brought us meals, uh, for Beth McCampbell and Jenny and others working behind the scenes to care for Shelby and make this happen, we're really, really grateful. And it's such a privilege uh, to love uh, this image bearer of God. And so Megan and I, I mean, he's really the easiest baby too. So we've joked like, is this how they get you in? They find the perfect baby and then you are, you know, sign up for the rest of your life. So it's, but it's been a real joy. Uh, well, we're walking through the gospel of Matthew and it's important anytime you read, come across a text like this to ask, what is Matthew trying to say here? What is his point? Uh, Matthew was someone who knew Jesus personally, and he would have been witness to and heard about a number of happenings in Jesus's life. Why does he record what he does? And I think there's, there's a few reasons. First, he records what he does because it happened. Uh, but also, I mean, there's a number of things that happened. Matthew collects these events of Jesus's life, and he puts them in the way that he does because he's wanting to show us something about Jesus. He's wanting to teach us something about the idea of Jesus as king, and he wants us to consider how we live out this kingdom concept today. He doesn't just present facts about Jesus so we can be more educated. He prevent, presents facts about Jesus and invites us into the story of Jesus so that the story of Jesus and his kingship can continue now like it did then. And so as we engage a text like this, what is Matthew wanting us to know about Jesus and how is this story at work today? Now, it's important. When we engage a story like this, it's a, it's a passage that's very familiar. No, it is not December. You're, you're, you, if you're checking your, your calendar wondering, wait, the, G, the birth of Jesus, did, did I just blank and forget that this is before Christmas? No, we're in February. Uh, you're not, you didn't go back a few months. Um, but it, because of the birth of Christ and Christmas, our perspective can sometimes be skewed. We've heard this over and over and over again, the idea of these wise men coming and visiting Jesus. Now, I want to just let you know there's a few things that we miss because we're so familiar with the story. Uh, first, these are wise men or magi. They're not kings, contrary to the famous hymn, Three Kings uh, from Orient Land. There's a number of issues, problems with that hymn, uh, one of which is that they're not kings, they're magi. Uh, also, notice that they meet Jesus and his family in a house. They're not in a manger, so sorry to disturb your nativity scene. Uh, might, be a little, might be off a little bit, but they, they're in a home. Jesus is not just a baby, he's a little older. And also, this might really surprise some of you, we don't know if there's three of them. They give three gifts, but I might give three gifts to Megan. It doesn't mean there's three of me. You know? there's, a, there's at least more than one. It could be two, could be ten. There's a group of magi that go to visit Jesus. So if we've missed some of these details and we're a little skewed in understanding some of it in that way, what is Matthew trying to say? What, why is this here? And here's the big idea that Matthew's going for. Anytime you read narrative, it's important, which, which this is, 
It's important to look for repetition and themes that the author is trying to bring out in the recording of the events that happen. And right here, there's, a few, there's some repetition. Uh, Matthew begins by identifying Jesus as the king, king of the Jews. And then we have three different parties or three different groups responding to that news. Three different responses to the kingship of Jesus. You have the Magi and their response. You have Herod and the religious rulers and their response, and you have Joseph and his family and their response to Jesus as king. And in each case, we see them travel. Matthew does this. He repeats this. They're traveling in response to the kingship of Jesus. And what he's wanting to bring out to the surface is the idea of paying homage to Christ, of honoring Christ. When you hear news of a king who's been born, How do you respond? That's the question that Matthew wants to put for us today. How are we paying homage to Jesus? How are we honoring him as king? And of course, we need to bring it to present day because we're not the wise men then. We don't read this and say, okay, well, I guess we need to travel to Bethlehem. And who has some gold and frankincense and myrrh? Is is this what we're to do? No. Let's look at it today. Three ways we pay homage to Christ and his kingship. Three ways we respond, what we can bring to Jesus that honors him as king. How to pay homage to the king. First, we respond to Jesus' kingship. We come to him and we can bring our minds. We bring our mind to engage and learn the story of the king, to see the beauty of his power, the beauty of of his grace, the beauty of his justice. As I mentioned in the text, there's three different groups, three different parties, and we see each one, each one needs special revelation in order to get to Jesus. We see the Magi, the wise men, they need a star. We see Herod and the chief priests and scribes need scripture. And we see Joseph in a, in a dream and, and through an angel revealed where he was to go. Each needs divine revelation. There's something they must know about Christ. Now, you might be here this morning and thinking, you know, bringing my mind in order to encounter Jesus, this is always kind of my problem. I want to love Jesus. I want to follow him. But I feel like in order to do so, I need to turn off my intellect. I need to turn off reason. I need to turn off my mind. In fact, today we can have this concept that faith following Jesus is the absence of thinking. Just shut down mind, blind faith, leap out, walk, don't think about things. Just follow Jesus. And that's not what we need. Each of them must respond to certain truths. There's things they must know. And it's also very interesting, the way that God reveals to each of the three groups. And I think this can shape how we bring our mind to God today. Notice, look, to the Magi, how does God reveal his truth? Through a star. The Magi were Persian astrologers. They would have been uh, Gentile priests. 
And God uses their view of truth to draw them to himself. To the chief priests and scribes, how does God reveal? Through scripture, through what they trusted as true. He reveals his truth. And to Joseph, someone who knew Jesus, knew God intimately, he reveals it in a dream and through angels. Now, what if Joseph said, this angel is a bit overwhelming. I, I want a star, God. Can you give me a star? I, I heard these wise men, these, these magi, they get a star. Can I have a star? Or imagine if the wise men said, you know, the star, who knows? There's many of them. How do we know which one to fall? This is, it, can, we heard about an angel. God, can you give us an angel? You know, imagine if each one wanted God to reveal himself as he revealed himself to others. They would have missed it. They would have missed it. We see God reveal himself through cultures and through culture and values and who people trusted for truth. And we see God reveal this truth in different ways. Now, what can this mean for us today? First, we see God revealing himself in supernatural and special ways in our day and age today. Uh, if you've ever, missiologists uh, have are commenting on the number of ways that Muslims are coming to faith through dreams. If you've known anyone who's ministered in the Muslim community over and over, there are countless stories of people who are coming to faith through dreams. If you've had the chance to minister and get to know people who are coming to faith in Africa and Asia over and over and over again, it's people who are coming to faith by seeing healings and miracles. Traveling to India and hearing, hearing countless people recall how they came to faith. Over and over, people are sharing examples of such and such a person was healed. Such and such a person in a village. Uh, no one else could heal them. And then the Christians show up and pray and the person's healed. You can't just discredit these examples. What does it look like for us today in the West? I can't help but believe because sometimes we don't trust in the supernatural and distrust Dreams, maybe that's not the way that God wants to reveal himself today. Certainly he can, and certainly he does. But if you're someone, and you're here, and you're thinking, you know, that's the only way that God can reveal himself. I wonder that maybe he wants to reveal his truth in another way. Maybe in the West, God is wanting to reveal the truth of Christ and his kingship as we look at the story, the truth, the beauty of his justice and grace. I find today in connecting with young people, many who are struggling with faith and doubt, longing to believe, wanting something to cling to, hook on, many are coming to faith because they look at the beauty of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, and how that can shape their life today. For example, let's look at our text. What are some truths about God that we learn here? The beauty of his justice, the beauty of his grace that we see right here in our text. A few examples. First, look at the two sets of religious rulers. You have the wise men and the chief priests and scribes. You have the wise men, which were Persian uh, aristocrats and priests. They would have been looked at as the religious outsiders. The people that God's people wouldn't have trusted. In fact, they would have, would have drawn to mind Daniel in the time when, 
when Magi persecuted God's servant, Daniel. It's why he got thrown into the lion's den. (laughs) Because the wise men, the Magi, those who were close to the king, undermined him. And so you have the Magi, and then you have the chief priests and scribes, the religious insiders, who respond to Jesus rightly. Matthew is showing us right here from the very beginning in Jesus' life. Those who you thought would respond rightly don't. And those who you think will miss it, see it. We also see right here a contrast between Herod and Joseph. Herod, who was a man of power and privilege and influence. And Joseph, an ordinary carpenter. Nothing impressive on his resume, just an ordinary guy. And who responds rightly to God? Who has the privilege of fathering God's son? We see it at the very end. Look look at the end of our passage, the end of the chapter. Uh, When Joseph returns to Israel, in verse 21, we see, And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And, and Joseph, he's excited to get home. He's been in Egypt uh, for safety, and now he's ready to go home. And where does he want to go? He's like, all right, we have God's son, this king. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to the place where a king would live. But there's a problem. We see it in verse 22. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew, withdrew to the district of Galilee, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, we know this today. Every place looks down on another place. In our country, I mean, what is the place of political and cultural power? I mean, you could look at New York City, D.C., and they look at us in the Midwest as what we're called flyover country. Because you want to fly over it. And every four years on the presidential campaign, news agencies show up here and they want to know how we're going to vote. And then afterwards they leave and we're kind of forgotten. Every place looks down on another place. Rome looked down on Judea and Israel. And Judea looked down on Galilee. And in Galilee, they looked down at Nazareth. Who did the Nazareans, who did Nazareth look down on? They didn't have anybody. I was like Kentucky, you know? (laughs) Nazareth had no one else to look down on. They were the lowest of the low. If you're from Kentucky, I'm so sorry. That's all you, right now you're, you're angry. We'll get to anger in a minute when we look at Herod. This is how God works. This is how he works. Joseph, he wants to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place for God, for the king. And God takes him to the lowest of the low. Now, what can this teach us? Again, as we're thinking, bringing our minds to God, this shows us something. The places where we look as being powerful, the places that we look For being significant, God has the habit of undermining it. If we look 
in our consumeristic age to having a nice car, a nice home, a nice reputation, being a person of significance, if that's what we're resting on, to see the power of God at work, we're missing it. We are reminded here of the beauty of God's justice, the beauty of his grace, that he takes the insignificant, ordinary things of the world to bring about his goodness. We are reminded that one of the things we can bring, we can pay homage to Jesus by bringing our minds, by being by understanding and learning and seeing the story of his work and his grace. Also, how do we respond? We respond by bringing our devotion. By bringing our devotion to Jesus, by discerning our play for power. You know, what prevents Herod and the chief priests and scribes from worshiping Jesus? They could have. They could have heard the news and they could have worshipped. They don't. What, what prevents them? With Herod, Herod, as we look at him, it says, when he heard the news of the king of Jews, of course, he wants to use the wise men to get to Jesus so that he can murder him because Jesus is what? A threat. And Herod, when, when he understands that he's been tricked, he responds with anger. He's angry. He's angry. Now we can look at this and we can think, Man, Herod's a, he's a bad guy. And make no mistake, he was. This is a problem. He probably killed about 20 children in anger. But what he's doing here, it makes sense. Because Herod hears the news. It says that the wise men go to him and they say, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now, if you're Herod and you're the king, and show, someone shows up in your place and says, uh, We're here to see the king, there's a problem. (laughs) There's a problem. And so Herod wants to eliminate the threat. He wants to eliminate the threat. And we're reminded here, Matthew brings to our attention, there's never two kings. There's never two kings. Do we invite Jesus to be the ultimate king and authority in our life? Or do we, like Herod, want to cling to control? And anger is an expression of a lack of control. We get angry when what we want to control escapes our grasp. Uh, Just this past week, our four-year-old Jack, Megan, and I noticed a, a habit that he has. When people correct him, he walks to the other room. <laughs> and even sometimes at school, when his teachers correct him, he, he doesn't like to hear it, and he'll just kind of walk quietly off by himself. And And this happened this past week. Jack, when we corrected him about something, he just wandered off into the other room. And I thought, you know, I want to be a good dad here. And I want to see what's going on. How's he feeling? And and what's happening? So I went in a very gentle voice. I asked him, Jack, you know, what's wrong? I notice you you walk away when when we share consequences or when we correct you about something. He was quiet. Eventually, I got it out of him. And he said, he said to me, Daddy, sometimes you scare me. Of course, you hear that. And I think, Jack, I'm sorry. I, 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 don't, mean, I don't mean to scare you. When, when does daddy scare you? And, and what does he say? And he says, when you correct Bennett and I. And I thought, okay, 
In my mind, I'm thinking, Jack, you're just a little too sensitive here. <laughs> All right, I'm a dad, and sometimes I need to, you know, there's, there's going to be consequences for bad behavior. And so I tried to start explaining to him, and then Jack said, no, it's when you raise your voice. Yell was the word he used. And I asked him, you know, I thought, I don't really yell. Other people yell more. I, I'm not a yeller, and I don't really, but in Jack's perspective, he looks at me, I'm bigger, I'm dad, and just the slightest tone change. And he feels anger from me. And what I had to be honest with myself about is that sometimes I do. I raise my voice, and often it's when my kids do what I don't want. When I want to control a situation, and they're not responding in the way that I would want. What are some of the ways that you might get angry in life? Some of the places and areas where you're tempted to really want control, and it just seems to escape your grasp. And it makes you angry. Maybe you're someone who flies off the handle yelling and screaming, and everyone's like, yeah, that's an angry person. Or maybe it just simmers deep inside. What are areas of your life that escape your control and so you're, you respond in anger? Maybe you have a habit of getting angry at, your, at authority figures in your life, your boss. It's like, what is his or her problem? If only they would do it this way. Everyone, all my coworkers, we all hate the boss collectively together. What's their problem? When will they get it? Maybe you get angry at your spouse. Maybe you get angry at your spouse. If they just understood the right way to put the toilet paper on the handle, the, it, it goes over this way, not the opposite. What is their problem? What is their problem? Why, 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 how, why do they snore? Why do they eat this way? Why do they? We, we've had the conversation and yet they still go and they spend money eating out. What, what is their problem? You get really angry at your spouse. Maybe you get angry at your friends or your roommates trying to sleep. Those selfish, just like King Herod, thinking everything revolves around them, playing the music really loud. What do you. What do you get angry at? Maybe God. Maybe God. God, if you're good and powerful like the preacher says, when are you going to show up in this area of my life? When are you going to right these wrongs, God? Where is anger showing up? Another area that prevents us from responding and worshiping Jesus, we see it in the chief priests and, scot and scribes. You know, they hide behind their religion. Herod hide, hides behind his power. The chief priests and scribes hide behind their religiosity. It's so interesting and sad. Here they are with, they understand God's word enough that it can lead them to the place of Jesus' birth. But they are not personally convicted enough to go there themselves and worship him. They hide behind their knowledge about God. They hide behind their religious works. 
That's what prevents them from responding in faith. Reminded in John 5, 39, where Jesus again is speaking to the scribes when the boy will grow to become a man. And he says this to them. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And this is very offensive to those of us who look to our religion for our salvation. We want to hide behind our knowledge about God. We want to hide behind our good works for God. But we do not want to put ourselves where we actually need him. And this is what Jesus does. He comes and he says, I am king. And not in just a way where I will point you to the kingdom. Jesus doesn't come and say, I have the good news. I have the way. I will show you. Follow me into the way of the kingdom. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't come and say, I have a way, a way to God, a truth that will get us into the kingdom. No, he comes and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that, friends, is offensive. For the part in each of us, the little King Herods in each of us, that want to say, you know, Jesus, I'll take you as a nice companion on the journey, but a king, no thanks. For the little scribes in each of us that say, Jesus, you know, give me the Ten Commandments and the rules to obey, and I'll do it. And Jesus says, no, you will never obey. Jesus divides people not by those who are good and those who are evil. He divides between those who know they will never be good enough and those who think they can do it in their own strength. What's preventing you from worshiping Jesus? Is it control? Is is it putting yourself in the throne? Is it religion? We respond by giving up control, submitting to him, saying, Jesus, be the king that I never can be. Do the work that I could never do in my own effort so that I could be united with you. We bring our mind, we bring our devotion, our heart, submitting it at the king's feet. And lastly, what do we bring to Jesus? We bring our plans. We bring our plans. In the passage, again, we see these three parties. Each of their lives will be altered by the news of the king's birth. Each of their lives will be altered by the news of the king's birth. The Magi will travel, will devote a whole season of their life to traveling far away to worship him. We see Herod channel his resources to destroy him. We see Joseph take his family to Egypt and then back for safety. What does it look like when we hear the news of the kingship of Jesus to allow allow him to be sovereign over our plans. As we close, some concrete ways we can bring our plans to God. I just want to highlight two. We're almost out of time. First, we can bring our plans to God by bringing our prejudices to God. Bringing our prejudices. Matthew, he's showing here beautifully, again, as we mentioned, that those we thought would have the inside track to Jesus don't. The Gentiles, 
the people that God's people didn't trust. The religious and cultural outsiders are the ones modeling the way to God. He's undermining our bias and prejudices, and we all have them. We all think that one particular group of people have the inside track. We might be prone to think, you know what? To be rich is more godly. You know, God, he blesses those. He'll bless you if you do the right thing and you'll be wealthy. Some of us think to be rich is to be more godly. Others of us think to be poor is to be more godly. Look, Nazareth, man, Nazareth. Not Herod, Nazareth. Some of us think to be more educated is to be more godly. You know, Jesus had shepherds showing up, and shepherds were the least educated people in there. You know what? To be, to be uh, I'm sorry, less educated is more godly. Others of us think to be educated is to be more godly. You have the, you have the magi. We all are prone and tempted to have prejudices. What are the prejudices you have? You know, it might be right there that God wants to work. Again, as we talk about bringing, what do we bring to Jesus? We can bring our power. We can bring our privilege in order to protect other people. What are some of the prejudices of your life? And I want to invite you to consider praying here and building relationships here. And lastly, we bring our plans to God. We recognize that He is the one who can ultimately guide our steps. There will be so many times when we have questions. So many times we don't know where to go. And just like Joseph, he's confused. He's in Egypt, and now he wants to go to Judea. And God's going to send him to Nazareth. Joseph was willing to be interrupted by God in order to protect God's son. What are you bringing to the king? Let's bring our mind. Let's bring our devotion. And let's bring our plans to him. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for sending your son. That he entered into human history. That we can read about his life. Read about his work. And may it not just be abstract truths that we learn and move on to the rest of the day. But may we like these wise men, may we like Joseph respond and worship. Lord, grant us the courage to wrestle with you, the courage to even bring, be honest about our angers with you. Grant us the courage to stand up against the bullies and those in power who want to abuse others today. Lord, we read about these chief priests and scribes and it's just sad that they were complicit in this evil work. And God, convict us of the ways in which we're sometimes silent and thus allow people in power to abuse those out of power. Grant us courage. Courage to bring our mind, courage to bring our devotion and heart, and courage to bring our plans that you might channel our lives to be a blessing in the world. We pray this in the name of your Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.